Welcome to the What's Good Podcast. I'm your host, Milton Young, and today we're here with a very special guest, Nigel Reisner. Mr. Nigel, what's good? What's good for me that I did a live, in-person presentation this morning. I saw human beings. I was physically in a room with people. That's only my fifth in a year of being in a room with live people. I've done 142 Zoom presentations, and I've done five live presentations. So what was good is that the world is beginning to change. I've had my first vaccination. I have my second in three weeks' time. I have booked a summer vacation. My 36th wedding anniversary is next week. I have just become a grandfather. Life is pretty good. That is excellent. That is excellent. So I do want to ask you a question because I've seen you perform on stage and the energy that you cast onto the rest of the audience and the way that you interacted. Probably one of the only speakers that I see that it's totally interactive almost the whole entire time. So how has that changed now that you're doing it on um, Zoom? It, okay, so I have a passion. Sorry, I have a fetish for PVC. Okay. So it's about passion, vision, and communication. And if you are not passionate when you are communicating your core subject, you guys all like talking about if you know your why. I don't ever use that language. But if you believe in your subject and you know it can make a difference, even though I can't make the difference, I can share information for you to make the difference. And I look in the soul of your eyes. You know, your eyes are the the windows to your soul. So I can look in your eyes and on Zoom, I can get really close. I can tell you didn't shave that well this morning. I can see (laughs) that close to you, which I would not be able to do if I was on stage. So on Zoom, you've got an opportunity to really get close. Now, on Saturday, I did a presentation with 200 screens. And if you go on my Instagram, you'll see a picture where I had 200 screens and I could occasionally bring someone on to share the screen with me and they had no idea when it was going to be. So I had people on the edge of their seats because I might have said, Milton, come and join me. And the panic, but it meant I had to be live all the time. And I had 199 people who were muted, so I couldn't hear them, but at any moment I could bring them onto the audience. So I always want to involve the audience and do something, get ready for this new word that's called entertainment. Entertainment, okay. So I need to entertain an audience and train them and give them stuff that they can use when I've left. If you're just entertaining them, you're a comedian. If you're just training them, you're a teacher. If you want to get to their soul and they can smile or cry or laugh and they can apply your information, then you are what I call a true inspirational speaker. Wow. Sometimes, and you'll know this from a preaching point of view, a preacher will share a message and use God's words and the Bible. The problem is they don't know how to apply it. So the preacher gets off on it, he's excited, or she, and it's great. But there's got to be something where someone says, and look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2. Well, you've left the room to think about the verse and think, well, how do I apply that in my life? So you've got to be really careful. If you want to really be passionate, look in their eyes, lock in. And really get to share your stuff. That's amazing. But there's also, there's another step to that about you. 
And it's that you challenge people in a way that it forces them to move toward, it forces them to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think you like putting people in that position because I think that's where growth really begins. Um, but, there's a po- yeah, but there's a point to that, that I don't know how old you are, but I'm a little bit older, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. When I was at your age, okay. I was applause orientated, and now I'm results orientated. Wow, that's very powerful. So as a motivational speaker, you and I both want the accolade. We want these testimonials. We want to be seen that we have changed their lives and that we're like God and we've struck them down with an insight. That's true. If you're doing that, you're a taker. If you're giving information to make them make your choices, they won't always like you. And let me just share from a business point of view, if they don't like me but their lives work, I get rebooked. If they really like me and I get a standing ovation, but nothing changes in their business, I don't get rebooked. So you might get a higher mark for me for your delivery. And you might be sharing some great poetry and you might even do a song at the end. And they're great. And And you may even have a sob story that's inspirational and your mother died of cancer and then your brothers got stuck in a, um, in a canal and they didn't get home from Mexico. And there's some story. I'm not sure what the company who's paying you is going to benefit from that speech. I get that it's inspirational, but there's a bit which says someone is wanting to write a check for your fee and the company wants to get some value from it. Right. So I'm not worried if they don't like me. I'm interested does, do they change behavior and the company prosper? But you've got to have big kahunas for that because sometimes I don't get a standing ovation. I do three weeks later when I'm not there. Oh, that's powerful. But you and I are wanting this. That's the best thing I've ever heard. When you can let go of ego, sorry, have you heard of the words ego and emotion? Ego and emotion, yes, I have. Take both E's out of both words and you get go and motion. But our ego gets in the way and our emotion gets in the way. And what happens is we get stuck that we need to look good. I've I've used the F word on stage. I've used the C word on stage. You know, I'm not racist. I don't do religious jokes, whatever. But there are times I've lost it. Mm. And the audience will go, he was passionate. He was a bit in your face. No one's going to book me for my story. They're going to book me for the results that I create. That's very powerful. That's very powerful. So you said something else that was powerful in one of your speeches, and you were talking about people aren't afraid of um, change. They're afraid of the uncertainty. Look, look, if you think of the last year, would you agree we've had massive change? Oh, massive. Massive. Okay, but we had massive change. Seriously, I don't know how old you are. But in 1999, there was Y2000. And everyone was really worried about the computer crash or whatever. Oh, that was tremendous. But that, so that was a change in the world. Then we had Amazon that's going to change the world in our shopping. We've managed all that. What we struggle with is what uncertainty looks like. So when people don't feel secure and when we feel vulnerable and when we don't have certainty or security, we panic. So if you can say to people, you can deal with change. You can lose your mother. You can lose your brother. You can lose relatives. 
But what you struggle with, what's it going to look like if I've then got to leave college, if I've got to leave my job, if I've got to become an Uber driver? And you won't know that part of my story, that I was an Uber driver in my Bentley. Oh, I do know that story. That's what I was going to say. I do know that yeah. very well. <laughs> no, but, but here's the point that the change of circumstance of me having no money wasn't the issue. It was the uncertainty about providing for my family. The minute I opened the back door of my car and let passengers in, I was earning money. So we we can adapt to change. It's the uncertainty that keeps us stuck. It's very true. It's most, it's most very true. And the thing is, um, that's everyone hears the word Uber now and it's a household name. But when you were doing that, it wasn't an Uber. There wasn't Uber didn't exist. It wasn't I, I'm doing the type of driving that you, when you were in college, rang up at two in the morning when you were pissed from alcohol. I wasn't doing executive car hire. Yeah. I was picking people up at 11 o'clock at night to provide for my family. Exactly. Now, I don't use some of those stories in my speech because I don't know how that's going to help my audience. However, mm. if I was talking about change, I might bring that story in. Well, I want you so to bring that gotta- story in. I do want you to bring that story in because to me, looking at um, the life that you live and the success of being a serial entrepreneur and being – and the reason that you were in your Bentley <laughs> was because um, of the uh, the economical turn, the, the the economy crashed, and that's what you were you were you you your life literally changed. And instead, the fact that you were in a Bentley doing a job like that, it almost shows that no, it doesn't almost shows it shows that you didn't have an ego. You had an ego under control at a very early part of your life. Look, I left school before I was sixteen. So I still have no formal education. But you also ran your first business when you were 17. Well, no, I I worked for two years. Then I went to Israel to do hotel management. Realized that wasn't for me. Played tennis, coached tennis, which is where my coaching background came in. And then when I came back from Israel, I saw an advert for a business that I knew about. He wanted me to join him. And I said, look, I'll become a partner of yours. He had $15, and I said, I'll be the manager of that business. Four years later, I paid him $2.9 million for his 51%. Wow. Because I knew the business. What I learned later was I didn't know how to lead and manage my people. Now, if I knew now what I knew then, I'd be a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. Now I just have an MBA, by the way. That's Which stands for a massive bank account. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, there's a phrase that says we lead people, but we manage things. Most of us think we're managers of people. You can't manage people. You can manage this podcast. You can manage the process. But all you can do is lead me and I can lead you. I didn't know that when I was 25, 26, because I hadn't learned leadership. It's only 20 years on that I understand that if you want to lead people to success, you need to show them the way. You need to model them the way. You need to be passionate along the way. And then they can buy into that. So when I was in my last business and it all went wrong, mm-hmm. and I was, and I, the only thing I had left was my company car, which was my Bentley, yeah. and I had no more money, and I had two children, one of which had special needs, and I was paying thousands of dollars a month for physiotherapy. I, I either had a choice of becoming what I call BMW, 
which is bitch, moan, and whine. Or I could use my Bentley to use it to take passengers, get paid, and then have a bit more success. And eventually, when I got myself financially back, I resigned for my own business with one month's money. Now, this was virtually a public company. We had an IPO. We had venture capital in my business. And I walked out with one month's money and started all over again from home. And you can only do that if you believe in yourself, you trust yourself. And I don't know your marital status, but you have a partner who believes in you. That's huge. And, and, you know, I have a wife who is absolutely amazing. I mean, she's the total opposite. You know, we'll talk about animals in a minute. You know, I'm a monkey. She's a massive elephant. I mean, off the chart, she is structured. She is regimental. She's a clinical psychotherapist. She has a process. I have nothing. I have one piece of paper. (laughs) That's my notes from today. (laughs) Four hours. That's it. That's my notes. (laughs) And I didn't even take it with me. That has yeah. the worst bit. I left um. it here. <laughs> so you have to think, you know, do you have the confidence to know yourself well enough? You know, to be true to yourself, you need to know yourself. Most of us don't really get to the bottom line of who we are. And I found out a long time ago, I'm good, but I need support. I'm brilliant, but I could be phenomenal. I'm not phenomenal because I don't know enough. So I have coaches. I have mastermind partners. I have trusted people who know everything about me. That's amazing. That's amazing. Do you? About that. You see that in your books. I'm working on them. Most definitely. I'm working on those, what you call mastermind alliances. And yeah. um, those are definitely the things that I need to start establishing. Uh, networks like Clubhouse are really being, help me penetrate that a little bit. Well, there's a phrase that says you have to do it by yourself. And you cannot do it alone. That's a very powerful, and that's a very truthful, stupid statement. You know, so if you and I both want to get this podcast out, you need to have someone to interview, and I need someone who can record it. Right. I, I, don't have, I, I have a podcast every Monday, but I have a partner, Neil, who does all the work. Okay. I, didn't, I just talk rubbish. But, you know, but we had last, two, week, two weeks ago, you know the uh, We Are The World, you know the song for uh, – that was done for Ethiopia, you know, when there was the famine. Yes, I do. That guy, where it all started was from a guy called Bob Geldof of Midjur. Midjur was my guest four weeks ago, just oh. before Christmas. And he wrote the song, Do They Know It's Christmas? Okay. So I had him as a guest. And next week, I'm just, I've just interviewed one of the world economic advisors to the world. And what he's told us is we are in for a boom for years. Oh. But I want to have partners who can I can bring on to add value so they don't just hear my voice. Yes, and that's exactly what I'm, what I'm trying to do as well because it's, it's, it's very powerful. It's very powerful having those alliances and having those people that believe in you, um, even when you don't believe in yourself, to push you to that next level. You said something in um, your book, um, The Impact Code, basically about how Two minds are more powerful than one. You get a more powerful mind when you have two minds that you put together. But Well, the book that I wrote, which I don't often talk, called 10 Heads Are Better Than One. 10, okay. yes. This is another one of your books. This and so book. when you master mind, you master all. And what you're looking for are people who are better than you at certain things that you trust 100%. So one of my master part, mastermind partners, a guy called Jeff Ram, we do a double act on stage. So I often open a conference, he does the session after lunch, 
And then we come together to talk about the perfect day. We uh -huh. have never rehearsed it properly. We don't worry who says the most. We just trust each other. We can deliver. When you have total trust, your life changes. Now, the bit you don't know about me is three years ago, I had a brain aneurysm. Oh. Now, I want you to visualize this. It's December the 22nd. I have a brain aneurysm and I have a full diary from January with some major companies. All of my work I just gave to Jeff and I said to all of my clients, Jeff will deliver and he'll be phenomenal. And if he isn't phenomenal, I'll pay his fee. Wow. Jeff didn't ask me for any money. He didn't ask for my contracts. He just turned out, delivered. And obviously I paid him. But I've but the following year, every one of my clients rebooked me because they wanted me to, to speak. Last year, Jeff's wife had cancer and he couldn't be there for two of his gigs. And this was the phone call. Nigel, I can't attend next week. I went, tell me where I need to go. Wow. That's very powerful. Because we have an alliance. You have to associate yourself with two or three other people that are so good, you'll guarantee their fee. And if you wouldn't guarantee their fee, you shouldn't recommend them. The same as if you have a podcast and you're going to put these people out and they're representing your brand, if you don't believe they can add value, do not interview them or never publish it. So if you don't <laughs> like it, don't publish it. No, because it's your brand. It's your. It's going out with you. Yeah, oh, 100%. So I've only interviewed two people in two years, and I've got my third person in a couple of weeks' time because I'm really tough on the people I interview because it's my brand. It is. It is. So you've got to start thinking, who do I love enough to know I could recommend them that would – I'd like – Jeff stayed in my house when I wasn't here. Wow. This is amazing. I said, I'll tell you where the key is. The house is yours. Do what you need to do. I was in a hospital. That's called total trust. Yeah. Very cool. few people. Do you, I mean, do you not understand that trust is like being pregnant? What do you, you either do trust or you don't trust, and you either are pregnant or you're not pregnant. You can't trust a little bit. So when I work with my clients, if I don't have total trust, I don't want to have to share my slides in advance. I don't want to have to go there and go through a run-through. I'm not too big for a run-through, but I know what I'm going to deliver. Yeah. If the client doesn't trust me, I don't want to speak. If there's not Canberra's chocolate on stage, I'm not speaking. If there's not Diet Coke, I'm not speaking. And you've earned that. You've earned that. Well, well no, I've, I've, I've earned it by reputation that I'm putting everything on the line, that if you don't like my speech, don't pay. And I've been doing this 23 years. I've spoken to two and a half million people. I've messed up a couple of times. I've only once never been paid when all the technical stuff didn't work. But I've never not been paid on stage. This is amazing. This is amazing. Well, I've earned my stripes by doing lots of what I call showcases. So if I was to give you one piece of advice, have you ever done a free speech? No, I've not done a free speech. Okay. You're never, ever going to do a free speech. You'll do a showcase, but you're never going to do a free speech. Because free in your mind says not worthy. Free means you don't value me. But if there were 700 chief executives in a room, 
I'd do that as a showcase, but I'm not doing it for free. So I'm going to have a list of requirements that says, I want Diet Coke on stage, I want Campus chocolate, and I want you just to trust me. And I will finish in 41 minutes and 59 seconds. This is amazing. This is really amazing. And I know me, I know because I do, I do stand-up comedy. I know how hard it is to be on stage and keep that mental clock that you're talking about. And I know by the way you're, you're naming off those numbers because you don't play with words. <laughs> so I know you don't play with time that you are going to hit that 41. That's amazing. Well, and, it, and there's been a couple of times when I've not because of interactions that have gone on. And I have seeked permission from the lions in the audience. And I'll, So they're the dynamic people. They're the people who've got a short attention span who want to be somewhere else. So if the speech is going to happen to go longer, I will seek permission from a group of people in the room to say, I need seven more minutes. Do I have permission? This is amazing. They will always say yes. These people, and I'm the chief monkey officer, we didn't even know what the time was, okay? So we're not worried. But there is someone maybe who's organising lunch or dinner that says we're ladling soup at 11.59, because you Americans like lunch early. You can't last till 12.30. At <laughs> 11.59, you're like wanting lunch. But if... But I've told organisers you could get the soup, hot soup on the plate at 11.59, because I'll be finished. Yeah. But should I need seven minutes more, Glass. I will seek permission. I never assume permission, and I don't ever want to play the game. Well, I thought it was all going okay, so it would be okay. I'm not bigger than the event. I'm not bigger than the church service. I'm not bigger than the synagogue. I'm not bigger than the mosque. I'm just a supplier. I'm just part of the process. Too many speakers think, you know, they've got, they've won an Olympic medal, they've climbed the mountain, they're much more important. No, they're not. I want to be rebooked by the organiser as well as the company. Right. If you piss off an organiser or a bureau, you'll never get rebooked. Never. You know, you've done stand-up comedy. If there's a, a comedy act after you and you take it to his seven to 12 minutes. Forget about it. Well, you're going to have two problems. The other comic's never going to recommend you. The audience might be laughing, but the organisers are now out of sync. And then they're not going to go to the bar for their drinks, which is where the revenue is. So when you're doing a speech and and it's a show, and it's the suppliers there, and it eats into lunchtime, and they can't go around the exhibition, you've pissed off thousands of people. This is true. This is true. So... Nigel, you told me that about uh, the coaches that you currently have, but I want to go back a little bit and talk about some of the mentors you had maybe when you were younger, because I want to know what inspired the, like this energy that you have. And you didn't just develop it in the last 20 years. You've probably been working on this your whole entire life. Am I right? Okay, so I'm going to go. You've made me think about something that I haven't thought about in years. Okay. So I, I come from a Jewish background, and I used to go to a Jewish summer camp. And my parents sent me for four weeks. I was eight, and they sent me for four weeks. That's unusual. In, in England, nobody goes for longer than two weeks. I know in America, you do camps for weeks. Like yeah, but this is... So I was sent for a month, okay? My parents didn't come down until the third Sunday. You know, and, and bear in mind, we're a small country, so it's not far to go. But when I was 10, I was put in charge of the tuck shop. You know, what a t- you know like a sweet shop? Yeah. Okay? But I went with... Tony, who was the camp owner, 
to a cash and carry, a bit like a Costco, to buy stock. And I've only just thought about it, that he trusted me to run his store, and we dealt with, this was proper money, this wasn't like paper money, this was really? people's pocket money, and he empowered me to make decisions. Wow. I then, I think I learned then that I enjoyed dealing with the public. I enjoyed being in business. When I was 14, I worked on a, on a market selling women's clothing. And I would be able to tell that if your mama was coming towards me, we were selling jean skirts with petticoats underneath. I would know your mama was a size 12. And people would be amazed. I would just know. And I had a money belt. So I was taking money and I enjoyed the interaction with people. Uh, then I left school before I was 16. So I left school June the 15th. My birthday is July the 2nd. I left school June the 15th and I started working June the 16th. So before I was 16, for a fashion house. Okay. okay. And I was in junior management. And this guy trusted me to do certain things. So I've either shown passion or I've been given trust. And I, I said to you this before, you either trust people or you don't. I was always given trust until I let them down. Well, I've never let anyone down with trust. So I now, when I work, even when I'm working with you, I don't know where this is going. I don't know how you're going to edit this. I don't know if you're going to cut me out halfway through my interview. No, because you can make me look really silly on that basis. Yeah, but-, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I just trust you to deliver phenomenalness. Yes. And then I can be myself. I mean, I haven't thought about Tony Brown at summer camp when I was nine. You know, my boss was a guy called Joe Sikorevich, who used to leave me in charge at 17, 18 years old to run his finance company. And he would go back to Germany where his mother was and ring me up and say, do I need to come back? And I'd go, stay another week. Wow. And, and you, so something that I put out said, I'm trustworthy. This is impressive. Now when I work with organizations, I just want to show you, this is normally the one thing I take with me. It's a memory stick. Okay. That's my whole equipment plus a phone. I don't have any, I, I don't have a computer. I don't have a no computer. laptop? No, what's a laptop? Remember, I'm just so you know, <laughs> I'm a monkey. I don't do detail. Okay. I have people that provide slides. My, I have someone who sent – so the, the CEO of my organization, who's the chief elephant officer, her job is to provide all the slides. She'll send information. She sends contracts. I don't know what a contract looks like. I wouldn't even know how to send you a contract. Uh, if you were to send me, I need you to sign a waiver, i say you've got to send it to her. I don't, know, I don't even know what it is. Okay. I know what I'm good at. This is, I think, where most speakers get it wrong. I know what I'm good at, and I know what I'm not good at. Are you aware of what a SWOT analysis is? Yes, I am. Yeah. Strengths, weaknesses. Yep. Do you know what happens if you work on your weaknesses? They become strengths. Yeah. No, no, they don't. You get, you get, if you work on your weaknesses, you get strong weaknesses. Yeah. <laughs> what you want to do is work on your strengths. Now, what's interesting about your background and mine, I think I'm in the top four in Europe in leadership and communication. I think I'm in the top 62 million for after dinner speaking. <laughs> what? <laughs> what I don't like it, it's too late. You need to understand we're at half past seven here, okay? Yeah, I don't true. ever do anything after five o'clock. 
Okay, so this is an exception. I appreciate it. No, no, no. But I wouldn't want to be speaking live at an event at this time of night. Okay. But I definitely wouldn't want to be doing after dinner. That is a skill which I don't have. But now get ready for this. Let's suppose I really learn over the next two years to be an after-dinner speaker. I just told you I was 62 millionth in the world of it. <laughs> yes, you did. If I really practice hard, I get to 9 million. <laughs> but I think I'm in the top four, which is a bit like in your playoffs for yeah, football. it is. I'm in the playoffs every year. If I can get just that little bit better and now get to the final, there's a chance of a ring. If yeah. I can get to be the finalist, but whether I'm first, second, third, or fourth is immaterial. That's for if you're in the playoffs, you're a good player. Would you agree? I agree. I agree. But you don't want to be in the top 40 million. Tell me a sport you're not good at. A sport that I'm not good at, um, basketball. Okay. Spend the next year and see if you make the playoffs. See if you get <laughs> but tell me the thing you love the most. What's the thing you love? I love jiu-jitsu, martial arts, jiu-jitsu. Okay. If you spent the next year with a great jiu-jitsu in a deju with a great coach, how far could you go? Yeah, you're right. You're right. I could I could rank in the world probably. Yeah. You know, so whether you get to black belt, whether you get to first hand, second hand, but you're not going to get it in basketball. So and too many people are pursuing something they're not that good at because someone's told them, work on your weaknesses. This is true. This is very true. And I, and I was looking for my notes because I, um, part of what you said, follow greatness, right? Then that's, that's, a, that's the key to getting to that next level. Surround yourself with greatness. Surround yourself with greatness, but find out what you're passionate about, what you're really good at, but get better. Get better at it. Get better but, at it. But, you know, you know, the top coaches, the top football players, the top golfers, the top tennis players have phenomenal coaches. The people who really need the coaches – are the people at the bottom end, but they can't afford it. So but true. the top, top people, if if you invested $20,000 in coaching in whatever business you wanted to do, it would give you 100000 of extra income. But you've got to be able to afford the 20000 Yeah. But most people say, well, I can't afford it. You can't not afford it. That's the point. Yeah, this is true. This is very true. So, you know, if you want to speak or you want to preach or you want to do film editing, you've got to go to the next level and then you've got to go to the next level. But what happens is we think we're good and then we stop. No, we stop. This is true. Become complacent. You know, Djokovic is the number one player. He's just overtaken Federer in being the number one player for the longest amount of time. And he still has coaches. The coaches he's playing with aren't better than at tennis. So do you know the difference between a coach and a mentor, by the way? This is a great. So, a mentor, actually, I'm, I'm guessing because I don't know, but I'm trying. I'm taking a stab at it. I think a coach is someone that kind of guides you along um, and kind of shows you the right way to do things and pushes you. A mentor kind of like like oversees your progress, maybe. Well, a mentor's normally been there, and a coach can support you to get there. So David Ledbetter, who's one of the best golf coaches in the world, never won the Open, okay, but he's a phenomenal coach. But someone like Nick Faldo, Ian Wisdom, Sefi Ballesteros, they could have been mentors to other young golfers. So Spanish golf changed because of Sefi Ballesteros. You know, Pele changed Brazilian football because they saw the way forward. Yeah. But he may not be a great coach. So lots of managers 
are sometimes not very good players, but some coaches are phenomenal but aren't great at hitting the ball. That's true. So I've been a great coach to lots of businesses that I don't even understand what they do. But I, I can coach them in changing the way they apply their business, about their mindset, about the way they communicate. But yes. I can be a mentor to other speakers because I've run a successful speaking business. I've written five books. I've messed up. I've done things because I've been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got to find some mentors who've been wet in your shoes and you've got to find some coaches that can train you in your style. That's amazing. That's great advice. Thank you very much for that. And another thing that I've realized in watching you and listening to your speeches is um, your, your zookeeper approach. I think that gives you an advantage because I've seen you do it while I was watching you, how the, the lion mask off. And I, and, and the things that you were saying about the lion, I was actually thinking, <laughs> and then you went to the elephant. I could see the reaction in the room that the elephants were thinking exactly what you said. But what was amazing, Nigel, is that there are so many people in that room with so many different approaches and how they uh, consume information. But yet, when you're presenting, you're giving one speech, but you're talking to all of them. But can I share another example for you? Please. I wrote the book in the four languages. Wow. So for the, so for the monkeys, there's lots of colour paper. <laughs> there's even a joke on the very first page, which says, if you go to the zoo, always take something to feed the animals, even if the sign says don't feed the animals. Remember, it wasn't the animals that put the signs up. <laughs> but the lions... Not many words on each page because they're very busy people. Wow. And now get ready for this for the elephants. Wow. That is interesting. And now go one stage further. For the dolphins, we printed this on recycled paper. So think about how I've done this, that I'm now sharing a method. I'm showing them the method. They're understanding the method. Too often as speakers, we're speaking in our language, which is why when you hear some pastors getting very excited on stage and praise the Lord, hallelujah, touch, you know, that's their language. There's a whole group of people going, well, I'd like to identify exactly where Jesus was buried. Did he go, did he, how far did he carry the cross? It's not possible. He could have carried the cross. And I lived in Israel and there is a handprint in Jerusalem where Jesus apparently stopped. To me, I don't believe that's his handprint. Okay. Because it, it, it just doesn't seem possible. But if I was an elephant, I'd want to know that handprint's too big for Jesus' hand. Okay. As a monkey, I think it's pretty cool. We found it. Wow. So even whatever your religion, whatever your state of speech is, there's a group of people listening to your speech with a different context where they're hearing. So, you know, we are bantering because we've got a bit of a lion and monkey going on here, okay? <laughs> if we had an elephant here, you would want to know the proof of everything that I've just shared. And I can give you loads of proof about Socrates 532 BC, Aristotle, Carl Jung. I can give you all the stuff where communication comes from. But as a dolphin, I've got to be a bit more gentle and ask about how your relationships are. How's your mama? Wow. Because that's important. And you've got to know how to do that on stage, knowing, you know, the, one of the speeches you saw that I did, there's 6,000 people there. I know there's a 1,000 people there who don't believe a word I'm saying unless they've got proof. 
That's amazing. So it's not easy just saying most people, everyone, I think you're fine, because they'll be going, well, I don't, I don't agree. Well, now you've just lost a big chunk of the audience. So you better make sure that you've got the evidence to share. You know, for everyone to say, everyone loves Jesus. Not everyone does. Just for the record. But you've put it out there. Now you've just upset 500 people. Yeah. Everyone, everyone touch your neighbor. I don't want to touch my neighbor. This is true. This is brilliant. So, so you have to start thinking as a speaker, as a preacher, as a teacher. Can you engage with your audience? Do you know your audience? Do you even understand your audience? And do you know what, what's going on for them? And if you do, there's a chance of success. Yeah, you're right. And I can even see how you can even apply this to comedy as well. It's very, it transfers over. Any kind of speaking, public speaking you're doing, it transfers over. Every disaster, a good comic can make fun of. Yeah. But sometimes you've got to think about the timing. You know, after 9-11, there was a comedian who had to go first to do something funny about 9-11. Yeah. We had a comedian in the UK who said, after the Iraq war, okay, the good thing about America and England, we're going to be great at the Paralympics. Oh my gosh. But you see, at some point, that's what people were thinking. But someone's got to go first with it. Yeah. Now, you wouldn't want to do it the day after 9 11. You wouldn't want to do it the day after you watch 700 Americans coming back in body bags. But there's fun in everything. You can make light of something, providing the audience are ready for it. Mm -hmm. This is true. See, you've got to trust yourself. Are you aware where the room is at? You know, I, I did a conference for a major pharmaceutical and I knew that 400 people in the audience were being made redundant the following day. Oh, really? So I wasn't going to do a big motivational speech about help the company get, reach its goals and all the rest. I was talking about wherever you are in your life, you need to take responsibility. Life doesn't always go your way. And when it doesn't go your way, you need to step up and own it. Wow. And three days later, everyone went, that was amazing. I thought you were personally speaking to me. Wow. That's powerful. Well, because you need to know a little bit about the organization. That's one of the problems that if you have a blanket speech, do you know what a blanket speech is? Uh, yeah. Just, like okay. Well, it's a speech you do regardless of the situation. So if you're an Olympian, so we have a, I have a friend who's an Olympic runner that beat the Americans in 1991 in the relay race. Oh, really? That's, that's his speech. And the fastest man went first and the slowest man went last. That's contradiction. Okay? It is. And to the 400-meter runner, who's the slowest guy, went last, but he knew if they had a good enough head start, he would be able to overtake on the end bend. But he does the same speech regardless of the conference. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just his style i want to look at an audience and think you know we've got covid we're coming out of covid uh you know we've got we, you know the england you know we're on our second vaccination very soon yeah. I, i'm working with travel agents right now i've got a i've got a friend who runs a cruise business the whole cruise industry is absolutely destroyed yeah. so you can't do a motivational speech hey, let's get on our boats and let's rock to it just isn't going to work. Yeah, yeah. So you have to start thinking, how can I make my speech applicable without losing my soul? Oh, wow. These are gems. <laughs> These I'm, I'm are trying gems. my best. I'm trying my best. <laughs>
All right, we're getting close. So I do, I do want to ask you one really important question because it was very profound when I read it in your book, um, a small stone, big ripple. Um, you were saying a change doesn't have to be, um, doesn't have to be huge. Very small change can be lasting and impactful and a small change can have um, enormous results. Can you explain? Well, let me give you an example. I must have said something on Clubhouse that resonated with you and I couldn't see you. Yeah. So when I share on Clubhouse or I share on a group chat, I want to give some advice that you leave thinking, I didn't necessarily agree with everything he said, but that makes some sense. I want to investigate a bit more. As against with you thinking everything I said was great, because it just can't be. No. I'm not asking everyone to agree. I think I'm a bit like an American buffet table. You've been to these American buffets. Have you been to Las Vegas? You've been to these other places. I think that's what I'm like. There's a lot on offer, and it's up to you what you want to take. There's some <laughs> good stuff, some fat stuff, there's some sweet stuff, and there's some amazing stuff. <laughs> I tell you how many times you come back. Look at the size of me. I'm like a buffet table. <laughs> what I don't want to be is just one sirloin steak. That's amazing. And so you have to make a decision. Am I going to be a buffet table? Which means you may not like the salad, or you may, but there's going to be something on the table you're going to like. So I'm not asking you to eat all of it. Mm-hmm. If you don't like salad, then leave it, but don't say I wasn't any good. You right. just didn't like that part. Too many speakers are trying to be fillet steak or give too much. This is true. So I tell people if you love me, but don't change, I've failed. Uh, if you don't like me and you change behavior, I've succeeded and I love you all and take what you like and let go. And so I've often sung on stage, let it go. You know, let it go and stuff you don't like. Don't hold on to that bit that you didn't like. So let me give you a really good quote. Resentment is like taking poison and hoping the other person dies. I shouldn't be laughing, but just the way you say things, it's so true. It's so like Robin Leach of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. <laughs> I know our time is up. If I can support you, just yes, ask. I will. And whatever I can do to support your listeners, delighted to. I really appreciate you. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a wonderful afternoon. For me, it'll be a wonderful evening. My Thank wife is calling me for dinner. We're at 9.44. Thank I'm you so much. Over, but that's okay. I appreciate it. Have fun, my friend. Be good. Love you. Take care. Take care.